Hello everyone, I'm Tech Sergeant Shane Hughes, and you're listening to Beyond the Horizon, a podcast produced by the Ohio Air National Guard's 178th Wing in Springfield, Ohio. Today's guest is Mrs. Elizabeth Gelhar. She is the 178th Wing Sexual Assault Response Coordinator and is the primary point of contact for the Wing's Sexual Assault Prevention and Response Program. Today we discussed her role, the program, and the importance of caring for our airmen. Today's show covers content of a sensitive nature that may be triggering to some listeners. Please take care of yourself, and if you need to, don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thanks, Shane. I really appreciate this opportunity. All right, so if you would, go ahead and start out by telling me a little bit about yourself, who you are, and how did you get involved with the sexual assault prevention and response program? Yes, absolutely. So I'm Elizabeth Gilhar, um, the Wing Sexual Assault Response Coordinator. Essentially, that means I'm the primary point of contact for integrating and coordinating sexual assault victim care services um, and things like that for eligible recipients, as well as education and training oversight for sexual assault prevention and response. So to be completely honest with you, I kind of got into this position. Um, Not really I chose it, but it chose me. And what I mean by that is about four or five years ago, uh, I was a staff sergeant working in the comptroller flight. The SARC at the time was seeking volunteer victim advocates for the program. And my supervisor came to me and she said, hey, I think that you would be a really great fit for this. I've always been really interested and passionate about people issues, um, most specifically women issues. Not saying that sexual assault isn't just a woman's issue, um, but it is definitely something that's very prevalent for women. So I continued my role as a victim advocate for a couple of years, and then I had an opportunity to work as a technician to provide administrative support to the current SARC at that time and the Director of Psychological Health. And in 2019, the position of the SARC became available, and once again, I had various mentors come to me and say, hey, we think you'd be a really great fit for that position, and for me, that felt like such a really good honor. So I interviewed and had the privilege of being selected for the position, and I've been here ever since. Within that, I went to a 40-hour course, and it really changed my perspective and opened my eyes to uh, this issue, and I've become more passionate about it as I continue to serve in that role. Okay, so what was it specifically that opened your eyes on this issue during that course? I think the biggest thing that stood out to me was just the myths about sexual assault and how we view sexual assault as a society. Would you mind elaborating on that a little bit? So what are some of those um, myths? I think one of the biggest things that I got from the course was that sexual assault is so much more prevalent than we realize. It's kind of one of those things that's kept under wraps. It brings up so many different things in people, whether that be fear of retaliation, embarrassment, misunderstandings about sexual orientation. So it's a very sensitive subject. And it's not talked about enough. It's not brought to light enough. Another thing that we really kind of discussed through the course is reviewing different cases over the years and how the media portrays it, how people respond to it. And a lot of times people tend to take sides. There's a lot of controversy around it. So it makes perfect sense that people don't want to bring this crime to light. We as a society tend to blame the victim for a sexual assault. People tend to choose sides. They don't believe someone that something has happened. Or they discredit someone. What was she doing or what was he doing in that dark alley? 
why did they drink so much? Why did they put themselves in that situation? Well, they were wearing this or they were wearing that. And when you kind of change your perspective that it's not somebody's fault for being sexually assaulted because of the clothes that they have on. You know, we should all be able to walk down a dark alley wearing a bikini if we want to without asking to be sexually assaulted. Yeah, absolutely. It, it kind of really broadened my horizons with how people react to it, how it's treated, especially in the media, and how people feed into that. I imagine that probably has a pretty big dampening effect on the number of people who are willing to come forward and report. Yes. So the Department of Defense actually puts out an annual report every year, and they put out the numbers of restricted reports, unrestricted reports, and how many people seek care through the DOD Safe Helpline. The amount of people in 2019 that actually reported a sexual assault was a little over 6,000. But they found that on the Department of Defense Safe Helpline, the amount of users that they had in that year was over 30,000. Wow. This is a heavy topic. Okay, so we've already kind of gotten into this next question, but can you tell me a little bit more about the sexual assault prevention and response program. What is it? What do people need to know about it? Sure. The sexual assault prevention program really is twofold. Not only does it reinforce the Air Force's commitment to eliminating incidents of sexual assault through awareness and education and prevention training, it also provides victim advocacy, um, sexual assault response, reporting options, plus there's an option for accountability for those who commit those crimes. We're able to link victims of sexual assault to treatment and support, including necessary medical care, mental health services, counseling, legal representation and guidance, as well as direct support. Okay. So I know there are two different um, reporting options for victims of sexual assault as airmen. Could you tell me a little bit about those two options? What are they? How are they different? Yeah. So if we look back at like reporting options, one of the things that we're always taught is that there's two reporting options. There's actually three reporting options. And I think we don't do a very good job of disclosing what that third option is. So within those multiple different options for reporting that our program provides military members, I think some of the important things that we need to know is that sexual assault is a criminal offense. So the entire chain of command is required by law to report that. However, the SAPR program gives our members an opportunity to seek resources confidentially, and that's why I believe the most important option out of all of those three options is the restricted reporting option. So I'm going to focus really heavily and primarily on that because I think it's the most valuable. That option allows our victims the opportunity to report sexual assault confidentially. And it's so important to note that there's only a handful of people that our members can go to for that confidentiality. And some of those are the SARC, that's myself, a volunteer victim advocate, the director of psychological health, a medical provider, which I think it's important to note that we only have a couple of those in medical group that fit under that because it has to be a licensed medical provider. Not anybody in the medical group can um, fit under that umbrella. And then, of course, the chaplains are there for confidential as well. So we're able to help assist them with different treatment options and what's available to them to educate them about their rights. So for me, the most important information that I can give people and what I like to try to tell everybody through all of my trainings is just knowing who to go to if they themselves have been sexually assaulted or someone comes to them and says, hey, I've been assaulted and I don't know what to do. Other options that are available is the unrestricted option. 
This allows members additional resources like command support, protection orders, expedited transfers, investigations, um, and the alleged offender could possibly be held accountable for their actions. The limitation with this option, though, is that more people will know about the assault, and the investigation may require discussion of very personal matters. So for that option, members can really tell anyone in their chain of command or law enforcement or security forces, because like I said before, is that it's required by law for them to report it. By coming to the SARC or the victim advocate, we can provide available options and allow them to choose the right option for them. So by going to the wrong person, some of those options are taken away, and we really don't want that to happen. And that's what happens when people don't know who the right person is to contact. Something that I don't think that we do a very good job of explaining is that you can come to us, you can come to the SARC, you can come to the victim advocate or the director of psychological health or the chaplain and not have to make a report at all which I think is extremely valuable for our people to know. You know, they're not coming in and saying, okay, now you've told me this, now you have to sign a piece of paper saying, yes, I've been assaulted and I have to file a report. That's not necessarily true. You can come in for yourself or for someone else, say that this has happened and find out what resources are available for you without anybody else knowing, and then choose the best option for you. And that may be to not do anything. So like so many other things, sexual assault is a spectrum. Um, could you tell me what that spectrum includes from the very least to the most severe, and then what kind of options are available depending on how severe the situation is? Sure. So sexual harassment and sexual assault are very closely related. And there is a lot of gray areas in between. And a lot of times we're seeing that when a sexual assault happens during the investigation process, there were red flags leading up to the sexual assault that fell in a sexual harassment realm. There were behaviors that left, were left unchecked. I would like to say that it comes down to physical contact, but even that could be a little bit gray. It could fall under sexual harassment. It could fall under sexual assault. But I think a good rule of thumb to take into consideration is the intent behind the action. What was the intent behind the action? Was it sexual in nature? So the spectrum is really, really broad. So I guess my next question would be when someone is experiencing something that falls into one of those gray areas of sexual harassment, sexual assault, how do they know when they need to come to you or another representative who can assist them and when they should go to, say, a supervisor or through a different route? Absolutely. So I think if you're ever in a situation where you're not sure whether something is sexual harassment or sexual assault, the best course of action is to come to a victim advocate or a SARC because we can help vet that process for you. What we don't want to happen is someone go to their supervisor or EO and make a complaint and then throughout the investigation find out that it was actually a sexual assault. A lot of times more details come to light. They may not have realized it was a sexual assault. They may not have wanted people to know that there was something that happened. So it's best to be able to keep that confidential is to go ahead and start with the highest level of confidentiality that you can get with our office so that we can help make that determination with you and for you. So just rule of thumb, always go to the SARC. Absolutely. Go, come to the SARC because we can help you um, figure out what the best option is for you. Okay, perfect. How has this program helped our airmen here at the 178th? 
So through my roles as a victim advocate and a SARC, you know, I've helped multiple members, but I really want to protect them by not making any specific comments. Um, So all I can say is that in this great organization, we really do a good job of taking care of each other. Providing support to our airmen for such a horrendous crime and guiding them to resources that will help them go from a victim to a survivor is what it's all about. Our program has been able to help victims develop safety plans, guide them to much-needed appropriate health care, link them to um, Special Victims Council to know what their legal options are, and then really help them get mental health resources so that they can overcome and move on with their lives and their career. So what is your advice to someone who has experienced something like this when it comes to moving on and, you know, recovering from something that is as traumatic as an experience like this can be? It's really hard for me to say because everybody is different. You know, that's one of the things uh, that we had talked about through that course that I said really opened my eyes was truly understanding that every person is different and how they react to something could be very different. I think we assume that everybody who goes through something like this should act the same way, recover the same way, have a certain timeline that they need to be over it. And that's just not the case. We are all different. Our history is different. You know, our makeup and how we handle our lives and trauma is completely different. So I don't think that there's one way that someone can recover. But there are resources available out there for people who want to see what their options are. We don't want to say, hey, you've been a victim of sexual assault, so you need to come in so I can hold your hand through this process. We want to say, hey, take control of your life. You make the decision for yourself of what the best course of action is to bringing you back to being as healthy as you can. What should airmen know about sexual assault? I think it's really important for us, really as human beings, to be educated and well aware of issues that are prevalent in our society. Sexual assault is one of those things that affects so many more people than we realize. And I think it comes down to being not only educated about the truth about sexual assault, but also about not adding to the problem being smart and respecting our brothers and sisters and knowing what that respect looks like. Our wing leadership stance is very concrete. Sexual assault is, a, is criminal conduct and it will not be tolerated. Everyone should be treated like family. This is our family. These are our brothers and sisters. And we do not tolerate people who prey upon members of our family. And I think that we should hold ourselves to that standard. We should hold the people within our organization to that standard. We should hold our leaders to that standard. We should all just be good humans. What should leaders and supervisors know about sexual assault? You know, we talked about how the chain of command is required by law to report sexual assault, right? A lot of times we have third-party reports because as a member of the military, we're taught, hey, if you got a problem, come to your supervisor, come to your first sergeant, come to your commander with it so we can help you. And unfortunately, in this circumstance, that can kind of do a disservice for a victim of sexual assault because now you've put them in a situation where the commander has to report to law enforcement. When law enforcement gets involved, a lot of other people get involved. So it's not just your supervisor that knows. It's not just your commander that knows. Now it's your first sergeant that knows, the commander that knows, your supervisor, the wing commander, the vice commander, the command chief. 
the regional SARCs, the state SARCs, the TAG, the ATAG, the JAG, security forces, and the list goes on and on and on. So I think the biggest thing that I would say, and I've said this in some of the trainings that I've given to first sergeants, is the moment that you get a tingly feeling on the back of your neck that this might be going down a direction to where you're a mandatory reporter and you want to protect that person, is to say, whoa, 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 hang on one second. It's not that I don't care about what you're saying. Know that I'm a mandatory reporter on certain subjects. So if I can link you up to the chaplain, sexual assault response coordinator, the DPH, so that they can get the proper resources and help you out, let's do that. Another thing I think for leaders and supervisors to really understand is they set the precedence of how that's going to be viewed in the organization. So if there's a commander that gets up and does their quarterly talking points or the annual training that were provided and they're like, hey, we got to do this again. We got to check this box. I don't feel like this is an important subject. Maybe not with words, but with the way they act about presenting this training. It sets a standard that there's not a trust within that organization for that person to come forward with a sexual assault and be taken seriously. It really hurts the members' trust and leadership on a subject like this. So we think being very vocal about how it won't be tolerated in the organization, being very vocal about the support that they have within this organization to get resources and the reporting options that are available for you are just paramount for the health and safety and well-being of our members. How would you like to see things change moving forward? I think ultimately we would all like to say that sexual assault isn't an issue anymore, right? That we'd like to see the numbers of reports go down. But it's kind of a catch-22. We know that sexual assault is happening. We know that it's super prevalent within our culture and within our society. So if the numbers are going down, that could potentially mean that people don't have trust in their leadership to come forward and get resources. So while we would like to say that we want to see those numbers go down, we'd actually like to see them go up. We want to see people coming forward because that shows that the program is working and that it's doing really good things. It's setting an example for repeat offenders and subjects of sexual assault that it won't be tolerated and that there will be consequences for their actions and that we are a family and we take care of our own. Is there anything you would like to add that we haven't already discussed? I want people to know that they're not alone, that this isn't their fault. There is a whole slew of people that are here to stand beside them and behind them to help them through. A whole bunch of people who care about them and believe in them and that there's hope that this moment doesn't have to define the rest of their lives. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, This was a heavy topic, but it's an important topic. And I really appreciate you taking the time today to come into the studio and talk with us about this. Absolutely. I agree that is a very heavy topic, but it, it really is a super important topic. And I'd like to leave with you, if that's okay, some phone numbers that our leaders or someone uh, might be able to get in contact with us or with the DOD Safe Helpline if they need any additional resources or if they're looking for care for themselves or for a friend. You can reach the Sapper 24-hour hotline here at the base at 937-504-3419. Another option is the DOD Safe Helpline, which is a hotline for members um, within the community that have been affected by sexual assault. It's completely anonymous, confidential, 
It's 24 hour seven and specialize in providing help and information anytime and anywhere. So you can reach that by telephone at 1-877-995-5247. They also have text at 55247. You can reach them online at safehelpline.org. And they even have a DOD Safe Helpline app that you can reach them through as well. And if you happen to be driving right now or doing the dishes or on a jog, Uh, Those numbers and those resources will be listed in our show notes. Elizabeth, again, thank you so much for coming in today. We really appreciate you being here. Thanks, Shane, for having me. That concludes today's episode of Beyond the Horizon. Always take care of your airmen and look out for one another.